Bill wants me to record a codex review series with Arthur? Guy doesn't even know what a codex is. He's going to spend the whole episode calling them battle tomes. I'm going to need some help. Trident Wargaming. Build it, paint it, play it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another another wonderful Trident evening. Uh, I will be podcasting with the other two members of my Trident trio tonight. That's your well-known Arthur uh, and, of course, our resident Tyranid expert, Scott Fox. That's right. You get two times the Scott for the same price tonight uh, and a little Arthur thrown in as a cherry on top. Uh, Today... We will be talking about or doing the first uh, installment in our uh, Codex review series, which we're going to be kind of pulling off uh, as the books come out over the next year or two. Uh, We are going to put a little bit of a different spin on our Codex reviews. Uh, I'm sure you guys are all super used to Codex reviews. Every YouTube channel does them. We will not be doing them in quite the same way. For one, we're looking to be doing our Codex reviews a little after the book comes out. That is to say, it's an actual review, not a preview. Uh, and we won't be covering every single little thing in the book. Uh, we know that that is a space that is already very covered uh, in the uh, in the web space. Uh, so we won't be breaking down every single data sheet for you or anything like that. Uh, I'm sure you guys have great channels to go pick up that stuff on. We're just going to be having a little bit more casual of a talk about some of the uh, big combos, the big competitive lists, uh, the good detachments in each book, what you're going to most likely see at events on the tabletop or in your local leagues, or what your friend wants to run when he wants to crush you like a little bug, uh, or, you know, not to use the word term bug offensively in a tier in its video. Um, but uh, that is kind of a, what our series is going to be like. We're obviously starting off with Tyranids. We'll be doing a Space Marine one real soon here too. And if you are a regular listener, I want to throw it out there that we would love to have one or two uh, what would we would call a Space Marine experts on the cast with us. So if you're interested, you should reach out to us uh, on Facebook or here on Discord, and maybe you'll be on the cast with us. So, but enough about Space Marines for today. We're going to be talking all about Tyranids. But, ah, yeah, we got the book right there for you. But before we do that, as always, we're going to jump into just a little hobby catch-up. Uh, talk about what we've been working on lately. And as the new guy, why don't we throw it over to Scott Fox first. Scott, what you've been working on in your hobby room? Uh, the last two weeks I've been getting an Arsent uh, Holotide tournament that we just uh, walked through. I got Hey, okay, there. we got a, what is this? Uh, is that the Norn? That is the Norn Emissary. Emissary. Oh, sorry. No, this one is the, uh, this one is the Norn, um, assimilator. The uh, Emissary is the other one. But, uh, yeah, they're both, uh, pretty cool units. Um, I see people getting a the, the, we'll get into the weeds on those a little later. So I see some people give them some flack, but depending on how you use them, they can be really, <laughs> really efficient. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, uh, I've heard some things. Hey, there's his uh, best painted award that he actually just won at Hallowtide just this weekend. Yeah, that felt so good. <laughs> we have a yeah. I'm here. 
you guys know what it's like. Hey, when you like pour a ton of effort into something, you're like grinding at it. You say goodbye to the family for you know, a couple of weeks and you're like, no, can't talk. Or, you know, you, or I can go make dinner, bam, back into the paint booth. And then, uh, you know, to see all that kind of like come through at the end, it's like, we, yes. we honestly have a really talented team of painters on the Trident, on the Trident team. Uh, and uh, adding adding you to that roster of guys who've got some hardware on the shelf for it is just awesome. Uh, well deserved, though. Your nids look absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. You know, uh, I've been are wondering: they... are uh, are tier are nids the Space Marines we we wish they were? Is is are are Tyranids the the hero we wish Space Marines were? Uh, um... What's the Tyranid of Age of Sigmar? Is is this the wrong I, podcast for me? I, I feel um, yeah, kind of, kind of a little bit is. I kind of feel like that's Seraphon, right? Like, kind of the bugs of it. Uh, as far as hobby goes, I have been continuing my exile of Warhammer 40k. Uh, I, I I won too much. I have been banned. Um, people said I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of not winning best painteds against Arthur's beautiful Eldar. Uh, people got tired of being shot off the table, so I'm gracefully taking a step back. And I'm playing a much more difficult, much more refined, a more a more gentleman's game of uh, Age of Sigmar. Um, but all jokes aside, I have been knee deep in Age of Sigmar painting, so uh, I'm actually putting together a uh, a few different tutorials, uh, which you'll be able to catch on our Instagram. So we have uh, I did a quick, a super 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 quick one of how to add like a bit of a warm tone to make your wipes pop. But you can look forward to two tutorials coming in the near future. One is on how to make that non-metal metallic gold uh, be easy, because it, it's not a difficult technique. I firmly believe that anyone can do it. And the other one that you're going to look forward to is how to do some non-metal metallic silver on some weapons. So you can look forward to seeing both of those techniques coming up, and that's been taking up all my hobby time. I want to get you a t-shirt that says, Too Good for 40k. Hi. <laughs> Ooh, that's a great idea. And we'll uh, we'll brand it. We'll put Trident on it. Uh, all, all the cool people are playing Sigmar. Um, you know what though? I, I think that the, there's something really cool is happening this next weekend, and we have uh, there's a big team tournament going down. I I'm not going to this one, but Scotty here on the bottom. How do how do we differentiate these two Scots for the podcast for anyone who's listening and not watching? Is it Scotty and Scott? Scott one and Scott two. Fox. My last Fox. name Fox. Scotty Fox. So Scotty Scotty Fox in general, Fox we're in a big club with two Scots. Just call me Fox full time. All right. Well, uh, Scott here is going down to a team tournament, so I assume he'll talk about it in just a sec. But most of his hobby time has not been going to hobbying, but been going to being the tactical genius behind Trident's future dominance this next weekend. Scott. Oh, I'd love if it was some dominance, but uh, we will obviously have a full podcast uh, about our experiences at the WCTC. That's the Western Canadian Team Championship coming up in Saskatoon uh, just this coming weekend, like Arthur mentioned. Um, but yes, we are headed down. Uh, uh, that's Bill and I, as well as Ryan and Aiden will be representing Trident. Uh, and yes, I, <laughs> I have been putting a lot of effort into just trying to do kind of some analysis and some tactical planning beforehand. But I actually do have quite a bit of painting I've been working on as well because I'm taking Space Marines 
and I have hardly, uh, you know, before this last month, played my Space Marines in tenths. So I had to figure them out, and I was messing around with all sorts of lists and stuff. And and uh, then the new book dropped, and we've got all these new detachments and stuff. So I've been trying things left, right, and center. I did uh, eventually settle on an army list. They do, you know, have list deadlines for a reason, and uh, I do have some models to get painted up. Um, so I've, I've been working on a. Actually, I think I got them right here. I'm working on a Gravis Captain. He's just getting assembled right now. I've been doing a custom uh, Azrael, who is also kind of work in progress right now. Uh, I have a couple of uh, Eliminators that I'm painting. They're not quite around me right now, I don't think. But yeah, I've actually been having quite a bit of Marines to paint. And actually, you know, one thing, a lot of, a lot of people, I think nowadays, kind of poo-poo uh, painting Space Marines because, like, who hasn't painted a million space marines but every time i stop painting space marines for months <laughs> see there you go uh, you're probably uh, for, the only one who's never had that problem yeah who's uh every time i stop painting them for a little while and i come back and do some i'm reminded how much i actually do love painting space marines in fact i think painting space marines um might be one of gw's secret sauces for 40k um I, I do really enjoy it. So it's it's been nice to get back to them and uh, get some work done there, get some models off the shelf. Uh, so that's been good. Uh, but like I said, that's that's Space Marine content, and this is a Tyranids podcast. We, uh, we'll be hitting lots of Tyranids in Saskatoon by the looks of it, so <laughs> we'll reference them in our next video to make up for the time lost here. Um, but I don't They're want everywhere. to... everywhere. They kind of are. Uh, we actually had that at Hallowtide, too. Uh, I think Tyranids were the most represented faction there. I think there were six or seven of the 28 players that were playing. Literally a quarter of the whole event was Tyranids. You could hardly go a table without seeing them. Um, and they had a pretty good run, uh, led by Scott Fox here, who, in addition to winning Best Painted, finished second uh, in generalship as well. And, like, was this close? Uh, not terribly far behind first place, uh, which went to Kieran Trimby. Shout out to Kieran, if you're listening. Uh, yeah, so we'll, uh, like I said, we'll come back to the the Tyranids when we get to the uh, recap WCTC podcast. Uh, I know one Tyranid list for sure we'll be talking about, no matter how things go, will be uh, Sean Ford. Sean, if you're listening, we're shouting you out. Uh, Sean is bringing uh, 260 Gaunts. Uh, to that event <laughs> so we will we will uh, at the very least reference that because i'm sure that'll be some hilarious stories having to do with that army um but with all that, that man said, back with that <laughs> i know right i mean i'm expecting movement trays he's got to have movement trays right oh i guess we'll ask him when i see him um all that said let's jump in we're going to be doing our, our like i said our codex review of, of uh, codex tyranids uh, for those of you who've not managed to play Tyranids yet this edition, I don't know how you dodged them because they got all these beautiful new models and people love their nids. Um, the Tyranid book has been uh, pretty middle of the pack uh, through, you know, competitively speaking, throughout 10th. Uh, there's been a little up and down, obviously more of an up since the release of the book, although a lot of people have been very optimistic about the book because it seems to be relatively balanced externally. Uh, despite, you know, in ninth edition, we all got used to this whole cycle where your, your book came out and immediately your RB jumped 15% in win percentage and, and oftentimes became toxically overpowered. And we had to wait for this cycle of fixing things. And so far, at least, people seem to be pretty happy with the Ned's book uh, balance wise, which is great. Uh, well, when we look at the meta, the meta Monday results today, uh, Tyranids overall are still only at 47%. But. Uh, on the Meta Monday, they have win percentages 
broken down by detachment. That is a new feature for Warhammer 40k 10th edition. We haven't done that prior. That's 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 new to uh, this edition because a lot of the, the rules are tied to, obviously, detachments. And in this podcast, we're going to actually review these attachments individually after we review kind of the codex as a whole. Um, for those of you who want those numbers right now, Tyranids are sitting at a 47% uh, win rate, 48% of the data slate. Um, and the detachments have a variety of different percentages. The worst is the Unending Swarm, the Horde detachment, with a win rate of 38%, so that is not doing well. Um, the Synaptic Nexus is the highest performer with a 50%. Uh, and Invasion Fleet and Onslaught are at 44 and 48%. Before we get into the review, do both of you feel that those are accurate numbers, or do we need to see two, three, four more weeks before people get a real big hold of this new book, get a hold of new models, before we can really see what this new book is all about in results? I think those are pretty accurate, to be honest. I mean, uh, NIDs are, depending on what detachment you have, say you're walking into a tournament, uh, they are really dependent on who you're up against, like depending on what army you're facing, they kind of will struggle against certain things. Like if you bring an unending swarm up against, uh, knights, I mean, <laughs> good luck with that. <laughs> um, but just to touch on one thing you said uh, a minute ago about how the book has been sitting at about like the 50% mark, just under the 50% mark since it came out. I really appreciate that fact because nothing's like been radically changed since it got brought in so i'm able to like dig into the book try different lists and then oh god that thing i really liked is nuked damn that sucks mm -hmm. and that's just something that i haven't had to experience yet and i'm like watching like these eldar players and knight players yeah. go oh we had this really cool thing and now it's gone and life sucks Buy a rape like, night, Scott? you'll play it once every five years yeah. that's kind of true it's sad but true um, this will actually come up. I'll, I'll touch on this kind of as we go through these detachments um, today. Um, but I I don't think or I don't feel like GW's um, stats are entirely accurate. Um, or or specifically because I never want to say that stats are inaccurate. But it's clear that like different stats seem to be correlated from different places. Me personally, the place that I go to for my preferred list of 40k stats is the stat check website um who uh, get their data off uh bcp uh and, and itc and whatnot which to be honest with you i'm pretty sure gw does too they say that they also do some other shenanigans which they don't necessarily reveal which is fine um but anyway through stat check uh they actually do have some different numbers and some of that will actually touch on like i said as we go through the attachments today but it also informed what detachments we're going to look at today because we actually aren't going to look at two of the detachments that are in the nids book not because they're necessarily bad but because they are very very rarely played and that kind of leads into your question there arthur which is do we have enough info listen again when it comes to stats i'll say it again and again and again and again sample size uh, without a good sample size, and 40k is tough because you basically never have good sample sizes. The game takes too long. There's not as many games played as we would all love. But with too small of a sample size, it's really hard to say things about something. Uh, and right now, there is a very, very small sample size for the Assimilation Swarm Detachment. Uh, and there's a very, very small sample size for the Crusher, uh, Crusher Stampede, Stampede Detachment. Uh, so we're not going to be covering those today simply because whilst we can offer opinions on what we see with the rules, 
again, you can already get those from a million other reviews. Right now, we're trying to review what has actually happened and what we've actually experienced. And there's just not much experience to do with those. Um, but yeah, but the actual stats that I've got for some of these army lists, or uh, detachments, I should say, are a little different from what GW says too. And, and I tend to agree with what I see on stat check, but again, I'm just one person. So, Do you uh, agree that Black Templars are the best army in the game? Because according to stat check, they're number one, 58%. They they are incredibly incredibly strong. I would argue that they're probably up there. Although stat check, as you are, I'm sure are looking at right now, will also show you that the sample size on Black Templars is pretty small compared to something like Eldar. One uh, third. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's quite a few quite a few uh, less games. About so, the same as Votan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, you know, there's also recency and stuff like that. So I do think Black Templars are very strong, though. But Damn, those Marines just keep sneaking into every conversation, I tell you. Anyhow, um, so we're going to quickly cover... Sorry, go ahead, Arthur. I just wanted to complain about Sisters really quick, but I think this is a Tyranid podcast, and I will... It is. Uh, uh, no I more power not, armor. No I'm more sorry. power armor. We just, we'll do a Sisters cast. How about that? That'd be super quick. <laughs> No, I'm sure you could go on for a while, actually. So, um, if I'm not mistaken, though, we are going to talk about uh, kind of an overview of the new book. Is that where you wanted yes. to go next with well, this? Well, specifically, I just wanted to reference one thing, just for people who aren't familiar. Just touch on the Tyranid actual army rules. Uh, so, first off, they've got two. They have Synapse, uh, which is just a six-inch aura that comes off of all of their synapse creatures, which of course is a tagline or a, sorry, a keyword that they have on their units. It allows the units that are within... Not to be confused with the faction word. Um, all Every unit in there has a faction uh, word listed as synapse, and this has caused so much confusion in the amongst Tyranna players because they're like, oh, anybody that synapse gets this ability, and they look and they see it under their thing, it says synapse. Everything has that. Has that. And I've, I've encountered probably five new Tyranna players that are like thinking everything in the army has synapse, and I'm like, no, no, right. no. Scroll well, to the bottom I'm, and look there. I think I'm contributing to that right now because I, I did say keyword. You're looking at the synapse uh, ability keyword. Mm -hmm. Like it would pop up kind of in the top right of your data sheet when you're looking. Um, anyway, any unit or Tyranid unit within that aura gets to take uh, Battleshock and Leadership tests on 3d6, which is quite good, especially since Tyranids do have comically low leadership values, uh, which kind of hurts them pretty bad when they're out of synapse range. The second and often both maligned uh, and loved ability of, of the Tyranid army is the Shadow and the Warp, which, uh, Scott Fox, I believe it's once per game that you can Yeah, use once it. per game. You get to drop it on your command phase or on your opponent's command phase. Um, and it sends out a, an army-wide Battleshock test for any units that are on the field at that time. Um, and they have to be on the field. Like, they can't be like in reserves yeah. or you know, in, in, a, in some way not on the field. And this just, um, like, base, baseline, this just enforces a regular battle shock, basically, if they fail. Yeah. Okay. There's ways to uh, expand on that a little bit. Like, um, well, first off, just to touch on the whole uh, Shadow of the Warp thing, when it first dropped, the whole Tyranid community was like, oh, wow, battle shock. Yeah. And everyone yeah. was like, wow, this really sucks. And it's not until, like, these books are coming out that we're starting to see, like, how battle shock is actually going to play a role in the, in the greater part of the game. And now that the the Tyranids book out, we're seeing all these different tools for manipulating battle shock and um, diving a little deeper into that style of gameplay. There's like entire lists out there dedicated towards like forcing battle shock tests, which is pretty awesome. 
and yeah. some of the units that are out there are really potent when it comes to that. So, um, in order to like help enforce that battle shock, you can take like a, a neuro tyrant. He gives that roll a plus one. So if you was normally save on a seven, now you save on an eight, and all of a sudden all these Necron armies are going, oh boy. <laughs> Yep. Um, and if anybody is within, I think it's six inches of a Death Leaper, they're at a minus one leadership as well. So they're all like, at, you know, uh, adjusting their roll by two now. So it's. Yeah. Pretty... Yeah. And I know uh, I think there's one or two enhancements that can deal a little bit of extra mortal wounds or some other negatives there in there too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, that's why I said it's both a maligned and loved ability. Uh, it seems like most Battleshock related uh, effects, at least early intent, were basically written off. But as time is kind of going on, more and more people are grappling with, well, you know, actually this might be a playable mechanic. Um, it really case, is. It's, it's, it's a game changer on a couple levels because it can really adjust your effectiveness on the field or part of the field. It can knowing where your battle shocks like uh, especially on the, the shadow of the warp phase if you're going like okay the units over here are battle shocked and the units over here are not if i have a neurolector in range of these guys during my turn i'm going to get plus one to wound those guys so seeing where you have battle shocks around the board you can all of a sudden surge in that direction and try to dominate that area of the table right Absolutely. and the the biggest part of the whole thing isn't necessarily how effective you are at taking out enemy unit it is i found um battle shocking for oc control of objectives yeah. uh, the number of times battle shock has flipped the points of a game for me in a round like oh you were scoring 15 on primaries now you're scoring zero and i'll take those primaries on my round because you're yeah. still oc zero until your next command phase so yeah, just until the start of their next command phase yeah just being able to flip a, an objective in a timely manner for sure um no. i want to touch on those because it's relevant to all of the following detachments this is something that's available to all of them some of them lean into it more some less so but just keep that in mind when we're talking about them um so for our first detachment that we're going to be talking we're talking about we are going to be talking about the one that you guys have all seen and played against since the start of 10th the invasion fleet detachment uh, kind of, I guess, what would be considered the standard right now, even though it's just one of six now that it's in the book. Uh, this is the one that there's been the most run with. I know, Scott, you've probably played this one the most, obviously. Most people have played against this one the most. And honestly, it is still a pretty good uh, detachment, uh, even with the new ones out. Uh, Arthur, I don't know if you got stat check open there, but you can double check on the win rate for us. I'm pretty sure that it was either first or second as far as win rate among the four that we were talking about and that it was probably somewhere in the low 50s, uh, 51, 52%. So. Uh, invasion Fleet is at 48%. Mm. Editing Swarm is actually beating it on stat check at 48 as well. Assimilation's at 52 and Vanguard's at 53. Okay, so there you have it. Mm. Um, the hyper or the detachment uh, ability for the invasion fleet is called hyper adaptations. It allows the uh, Tyranid player to choose one ability at the start of the game. Am I right, uh, Scott? Yeah, start start of round one. Yeah, and you get uh, basically sustained hits, lethal hits, or or, or uh, precision on critical wounds, uh, army wide, basically, uh, and that's in melee only, though, right? No, that's everything. Oh, it's everything. Look at that. It's even Shooting better. doesn't matter. Yep. There you have it. Um, so it's actually like, I think part of the charm of this one is the flexibility. Um, 
you can kind of lean in whichever way you need. If you're obviously up against kind of more monster mash or vehicle heavy lists, you probably want the lethal hits. There's a few armies that are, of course, very vulnerable to having their uh, leaders lost because they give a lot of buffs. So precision can be good there. Sustained hits is good pretty much in most situations. If one of and, those and the precision is also on the critical hits, not even the wounds. Oh, so it's, so it's even better than that. Um, yeah, and you can and you can do things to give you crits on fives. So right. Crits on fives with that, all of a sudden, uh, bye-bye leaders. So yeah, and that kind of leads us into the stratagems for this one, right? Because that's one of the stratagems is is uh, being able to crit on fives, right? Yeah. Yes, you can. Um, so in all these attachments, like you got one or two um, uh, strats that you know kind of suck, and one or two that are hey, uh, you kind of can't live without them. Uh, just to touch on the, like, the nature of Invasion Fleet, when it came out, um, some of the rules are pretty cool. Like, you could find yourself, no matter what you're facing, you could sort of fight it, right? It was a, a really good, you know, fight anybody sort of detachment, right? Um, you could punch up against knights, and you could handle swarms. So, you could, whatever way you wanted to roll, right? Uh, but one thing it really lacked was flavor. Like, yeah. everything you had was, how well can I hit the thing? And... It did good at hitting things. It, it was it was okay, but it just didn't really have any kind of flavor to it. If you if you're if you're wanting like a really fun kind of interesting do things on the table kind of thing, well, that's that's kind of maybe, what I maybe was, pick That's kind of what I was seeing when I was looking through the rules for it. Was that really for invasion fleet? It doesn't necessarily benefit any specific subsection of units more than others. Its its best set of units are basically just whoever's good in a tyranid army at that particular point and it's tools yeah. uh, as far as like stratagems and enhancements and stuff go um mostly seem to lean in that too it's a very generalist set of tools there's a stratagem for feel no pain uh there's a stratagem like we talked about for criticals on yeah. fives there's a stratagem for getting a little extra movement uh with consolidate yeah. or uh, especially actually that one's quite strong i should touch on that uh, stratagem to actually allow you to make a normal move instead of a consolidate if there's nothing within range of you, which is very strong because it means that you can, of course, and use it to get. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was gonna say it also leans into the uh, endless swarm side of things, yes. right? Like you can also take a bit of a swarm army with this too. So it, it touched on a lot of different things. Sorry, go on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, you know, like a fight on death stratagem, which is pretty handy for all the, your combat units and things like that. So it is just a generalist, um, generalist kind of bag of tools, which is probably why it got picked as the Tyranid, uh, Tyranid's original detachment. Um, I would say, just off the top of my head, and, and you guys can let me know what you think, but I'm guessing if you're a new Tyranid player who doesn't entirely know what you want to play, this would probably be where you'd go. Uh, obviously, once you've got an idea of what kind of army really... Uh, works for you and maybe you do that right from the start there are definitely some better detachments uh, but this one the generalist kind of take is better yeah the one downside the real downside of the list is if you are fighting any kind of skewed list that's like taking lots of one thing this attachment works really good because you can gear everything in your army towards fighting that one thing but if you're fighting like a really balanced uh uh 50 vehicles a whole lot of infantry and a fair amount of leaders then you're really having to your your entire army faction is only good against like a third of what you could be doing luckily one of the strats is during the command phase you can stack another one on top of that so you can have right. your sustained hits oh and i this guy this guy over here will have lethal yeah so you can punch up against those things but oh, it sure. goes against your cp efficiency 
I think most folks uh, who've played enough 10th have really begun to learn what the incredible power of uh, sustained and lethal is like, especially sustained and lethal on a 5-up. Half the com strongest combos in the game seem to be focused around that. They don't let you do it to the same things. It is yeah, sustained only on infantry and lethal only on vehicles. But right. it lets you branch out from the one selected uh, hyper adaptation that you've picked, that army, for that, for that, for that game. For that game. So you can reach out of that, do a little bit for the other thing, but CP. Right. right. Well, exactly, right. Um, for the enhancements, again, it's fairly generalist. We've got uh, some some kind of minor buffs for a single model, like a Feel No Pain uh, 5+, plus, which actually goes to a 4+, plus, um, if they've lost any wounds, which is quite good, as well as uh, some uh, reroll one, you know, just about any die per turn for, for a unit. Uh, both of those are handy for some of your bigger monsters, of course. You also have, though, a uh, synapse range increase uh, that you can throw on one unit if you need a little extra range. And uh, the one that's probably used the most, the alien cutting, which is allowing up to three units to redeploy. Uh, I'm not sure, Scott, is this one, uh, the the alien cunning enhancement, is it uh, one of those ones that says after the first turn roll, or is it just a generic one? It's before the roll. Okay, so not yeah, quite the strongest uh... version of that, but... But it's still really good, uh, depending on the kind of uh, deployment you have. It really it dictates whether or not that'll come in handy. If you're on like a narrow board uh, deployment, there's only so much you can do. One thing you yeah. can do, though, is throw them into strat reserves, which is going to be super handy. If you're on oh, a yeah. Dawn of War style board, you can like deploy stuff heavy to the flanks, see where they're going to deploy, and then go, I'm going to grab those three things I put on this side, jump them all to the other side, and like do like a heavy flank assault and leave half his stuff out of range i've done that a few times and uh it's pretty good well, when they fall for it <laughs> i i'm pretty sure that uh like redeploys are strong no matter what uh, mm -hmm. obviously the ones that come after first turn are stronger but this is like i said alien cunning shows up in lots and lots of tyranids lists over the last couple of months anyway because redeploys are always just amazing so um so one, like of, said, the other, one of the other sorry go on. No, no, no. I was going to say one of the other detachments we're going to do has a after the roll um, redeploy. Absolutely. That's the thing. Uh, yeah. In fact, it's uh, the one we're going to be doing next. Uh, and like I said, we're that that's kind of your rundown of the invasion plate. Like I said, this is by far the most common thing that people have seen for the last, past few months. But it's the least exciting because, of course, it's not brand new uh, like the other ones are. Uh, the one that has made the most waves and, and made a lot of waves, uh, even from like the previews that I saw some other some other uh, creators do and that I see popping up in lots of message boards and stuff, is our next one on the list and the one I think Scott Fox will be most happy to talk about because I know he's been playing it lately. And that is the Vanguard Onslaught. Uh, and as Arthur pointed out earlier, uh, the Vanguard Onslaught is doing very well competitively. Uh, I think it's also getting quite a few games played because it is appealing to a lot of folks. Um, but I'm going to kind of turn this one right to you, Scott, and let you kind of lead, lead us through this section. Cause I know that this is what you've been working on. Give us a rundown just kind of on the, uh, the basic detachment rule, and then, you know, touch on a few stratagems and enhancements that are quite common and let us know what kind of units are most commonly showing up at this army. Cause the rest of these detachments, that's kind of the, that's kind of the jam is that they work for a specific yeah. subset of units, right? Yeah, Absolutely. So Vanguard Onslaught is primarily dealing with um, a subset of units called uh, Vanguard Invader units. And these units are basically anything with wings, uh, except for the Herod and the Titanic stuff. Uh, but the Winged Hive Tyrant, the Winged Tyrant Prime, Gargoyles, 
Um, as well as your sneakier stuff like your Lictor, Death, uh, Death Leaper, Neuro Lictor, um, and I believe the Gene Sealers as well. Those are all Vanguard Assault. And this is a really fun fun list to play. Uh, it gives you all kind of a big toolbox of options to uh, enjoy the game in a way that Tyrion players have never had the chance to play the game. Right uh, in ninth edition, everything was always like we can move really fast or we can like kill shit really hard, yeah. and that was sort of like the, the main two ways you could kind of like jank your jank your list. Right uh, in this, it's we're part gray knights because we can like start jumping around the board in interesting places. We can do all this like crazy stuff that so everyone every everyone playing Tyrion is like. I yeah. can do what? <laughs> yeah. I, I've kind of, that's what I've kind of been hearing and seeing is that this is probably the most flexible list in terms, not just of movement, but but of redeployment and being able yeah. to get your models where you want them to go. And, and that's probably the secret to its power, too. Yeah. So um, getting right into it, the uh, core abilities of the faction is that all units have fallback and charge. That's everybody in the game. Uh, everybody in your army will have fallback and charge. Anybody that has the um, uh, Vanguard Intruder keyword will also have advanced and charge on top of that. So it's a little weird because a lot of your Vanguard units aren't necessarily the, the fightier ones. So advanced and charge, it's um, it's there when you need it. Like if you yeah. see the enemy has some guy, small unit off the side doing the thing, it's, it's easy to get over there and like handle that unit but i haven't really used it in a, an effective way to like really dominate anything uh just picking out smaller things with that uh the fallback can charge um always handy of course um incredibly one of the yeah 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 um one of the big uh if we just jump right into like enhancements and such um uh, what was that called here? The Neuro Node. It's the redeployed. Mm -hmm. Now you get to pick any uh, three um, invader units, the invader keyworded units, and you get to redeploy them after the roll. And right. this has so much uh, potential for doing like weird janky stuff. Um, so you take uh, Von Ryan Leapers. That's a, another Vanguard uh, unit, for example. And they have. Um, uh, Infiltrate as a, an ability, right? So you drop them nine inches away from your opponent's deployment zone and you string them out. And all of a sudden you've created a wall. And then you do that a couple times and you have all these units out in the middle of the board. Uh, and you go first, they move up and they can choose to attack or just stand there and like act like a big wall, screen your opponent in the deployment zone round one. Uh, and if you lose the initiative, pull them back behind cover. You know, do whatever else you want to do and throw in reserves however you want to do it um, i guess the real power so, of this is that you get to choose after exactly first yeah exactly well, and uh, sorry you were gonna say something i was gonna say in uh in magic terms we would call this strictly better um because it's interesting because it's actually also enhancement just like in alien cunning in the invasion fleet is they even cost the same number of points um, so it's it's really just the exact same enhancement, but better in a slightly different uh, or a very different detachment. Do you think yeah. that as more codexes come out, uh, we'll see more of this, where we go back to redeploys happening after you have that knowledge? 
Uh, so like, does that imply that what they did for redeploys with the Donna 10th was just like a, an error? Like they didn't really know what they were doing, like an oopsies? Or is this like, it's purposeful that they want to create different versions of this redeploy? I, I think they're, from, oh, sorry. From what I've seen, um, they actually seem to still be putting out both. But what I'm seeing is that redeploys that happen before the roll-off seem to be, um, more uh, ubiquitous in who who you can redeploy you like can any. usually pick anybody whereas the ones that happen after the first turn roll usually have a subset of units that you can specifically pick and i think that that's a great way to differentiate the two mm -hmm. yeah yeah um another uh, good one is called hunting grounds it's an enhancement you can take on uh, anytime someone brings a, uh, a unit in from reserve or deep strike, you roll a d6 on a two up, they have to make a battle shock test. So them coming onto the table is all of a sudden a risky proposition, especially when now you have all these tools to take advantage of battle shock. Well, it's, so, a, it's kind of a bit of uh, interesting anti-tech too, because like what kind of armies is that good against? This is the type of thing that's good against another Vanguard onslaught. Uh, it's good against any kind of unit or any kind of army that does that jank where they have a three inch drop in to grab an objective and all of a sudden they're OC zero and they're like, oh, it didn't work. Well, in any army that's bouncing in and out of reserves, you know, Grey Knights, uh, the new Vanguard yeah. spearhead for an army we said we wouldn't talk about anymore. Uh, obviously, your Vanguard onslaught. There's there's a couple and it's becoming more of a thing against Calidus Assassins, things like that. It's becoming more of a thing mm -hmm. to have uh, detachments and armies that can do a lot of reserve shenanigans. And that is, like you said, very good to get some cheeky battle shocks off on them. Yeah, uh, there's a few really good strats in this list as well. Um, right. A couple of straps that I, I rely on. Uh, what's it called again here? I rely on it. What's it called? <laughs> um, <laughs> it was called Cedar Broods. So if you have um, some uh, invader units in your reserves, like in, in Deep Strike or whatever, uh, you can bring them onto the table one round earlier than the typical rules allow you to bring them on at the time, right? So if you have a unit that can... Deep strike, they can deep strike round one. Uh, yeah. If you have something that can walk onto the table, they can walk into your enemy's deployment zone round two. And that's really awesome. Because remember what I said about the um, uh, Ron Ryan Leaper wall, right? Yeah. So you don't take the Ron Ryan Leapers, but you have a couple of units of gargoyles. All of a sudden, round one, you get the initiative. I'm going to deep strike them nine inches in front of you. They shoot and then move six inches forward and create a wall three inches away from you again blocking you in your deployment zone so we have like all these different ways of uh, move blocking you early in the game yeah uh and the ability to bring in something round two into your back line super useful i've used that a few times now uh, using like big crunchy units and just sticking them in the in the back and they're like blowing stuff up while you're fighting a two-front war all of a sudden well, and I think we talked a little bit about this, Scott, when we played uh, a couple of weeks ago. But Vanguard Onslaught seems best um, positioned to make use of just the hilarious amount of movement control that Tyranids can do. Uh, because of strats like that, you know, you back that up then with things like Spore Mines to shut down advances, uh, Barb Gaunts to, to slow down 
you know, key units yeah, yeah. and stuff. And uh, especially for like those aggro type armies, which some of which are doing very good right now, like uh, uh, Chaos Space Marines. I, again, don't have stat check right in front of me, but I'm pretty sure their win rate's pretty high right now. If you throw down, like you said, some gargoyles right in front of a few of their units, you throw some spore mines, yeah. you know, to the flanks, like you could ruin their game turn one because they yeah, can't get they're, out. They're in third place with Absolutely. a 56% win rate. Yeah, there you go. So this is relevant. Yeah. Of course, it only works if your army, if your opponent doesn't use like a lot of flying stuff, they can just fly right over you, right? But <laughs> Some people don't Match get the choice. Dependent. <laughs> Matchup dependent. What, what he's saying, Arthur, is he wants me to play Blood Angels again. Well, if you're wondering, Blood Angels have <laughs> the world's worst, but they're they are the bottom army. Period. Don't say it. Don't say it. Yeah, I did. We 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 said we weren't talking about Marines, and that just makes <laughs> me sad. So we're definitely not talking about that. I think Black um, Templars are the Blood Angels that you wish they were. I, God. Why can I know this is not a Marine podcast, but why the <laughs> fuck is there a eighteen uh, percent different win rate between Black Templars and Blood Angels? You know what? We're going to talk about that during our Codex Space Marine review. So tune in for that, Arthur. Another um, couple of useful uh, strats out of this, the Vanguard Onslaught is Invisible Hunter, where you can uh, transport a unit of infantry. And when I played you, Scotty, I completely forgot this existed. Remember, I had that big unit of six zone throws on my back line that couldn't make it up to fight on that objective we were fighting for for the win. Yep. Yeah, I had a strat and like three or four CP sitting there I couldn't use, and I totally forgot I had that, and I could have had that zone throw unit up there causing some mayhem. So anyway, uh, things like a group of zone throws for our army or whatever that you want to be able to move around the table, that is there for you to redeploy them again around the table. Yeah. Um, and then there's uh, Surprise Assault, which is an interesting one. Again, it's another one where you're uh, forcing a battle shock test. Um, you'll notice an interesting thing about this. The target is one Vanguard Invader unit from your army that has not been selected to shoot or fight. And then he looks and sees who uh, he can hit around the battlefield. And it's basically just uh, any unit. There's, it's not restricted by a range or visibility, hmm. I think, yeah. right? So it's like, you can, I mean, if that unit, uh, if your unit you're choosing attacks that unit, he gets a bonus. But it doesn't have to be him attacking it. He can pick a unit in your deployment zone that's camping on your home objective and make them take a battle shock test even when they're out of sight of anything else yeah. so it's uh like the battle shock itself isn't you know attached to anything it's just that part's free and then if you can attack them good for you but whatever exactly but you can just, like broadcast the battle shock to where you need it on the table whenever you need it and that is that, uh that could be quite strong actually yeah. yeah um and i don't like the movement shenanigans really do not like they're bottomless with this list um i know yeah. that they also have you know the uh, kind of phantasm like stratagem where you know where if an enemy moves within nine inches of one of your units you can make a normal move that's always a very powerful ability uh and they have the ability to it's a stratagem to basically turn a unit like i think it's any unit but maybe maybe it's keyworded uh into a lone op for a turn where you can't target them except yeah. outside 12 inches you get to pick any uh, Vanguard Invader unit and make them lone operative. Yeah. And if you are picking, or sorry, you get to pick, um, uh, yeah, any Vanguard Invader becomes a lone operative. Anybody that has lone operative already gets lone operative six inches rather than 12 inches. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. like, that's really, really tough. 
it, it's amazing. Say you have a, a Death Leaper camping on an objective and they deep strike, they're nine inches away and they want to shoot him and you're like, uh, no. No, thank you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Shuts that down. Yikes. So, like, oh, it, like it, really, the shenanigans are maximized in this army. Um, yeah, it, and yet, it's so much fun. And yet the killing power is still there. Uh, but, like, Tyrannids in general aren't super hard up for killing power. Um, but, you know, it's uh, this one's really leaning into the, the shenanigans part of things. The killing power is there with some of the things, right? You're, you're not taking this attachment because you want to be able to kill a lot of things. In this attachment, you're going to take a few things that aren't related to this type of attachment for their ability to kill stuff. And that's just na nature to the uh, the Tyranids. So you'll typically see a couple of Xcrans, a couple of Maliceptors, uh, things of that nature in this list. Um, one thing you'll see commonly in other lists that you won't see in this list is a lot of Hive Tyrants. Uh, you might see a Winged Hive Tyrant. Uh, you don't see them much because they're not as good and uh, a, a few reasons. But yeah. But in this one here, uh, Winged Hive Tyrants do have that Vanguard keyword. So you can drop a Winged Hive Tyrant in your deploy uh, enemy's deployment zone round two, which is pretty cool. Uh, one thing you can do is... Sorry, <sighs> correct me if I'm wrong. If a leader has Deep Strike and he's attached to a unit, does that unit get Deep Strike? Mm, I don't believe so. I don't believe okay. so as well. I think only if the unit yeah, also has every, Deep Strike. Every model okay. in the unit has to have it, I believe. So. All right, cool. Right. I was wondering about that. I was going to try something out very nice, guys. All right. Uh, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, you're still taking other stuff that does the killing. This is more like board control, moving stuff around. If you team this up with some barb gaunts and spore mines, you're really kind of screwing people's movement up. Yeah. yeah. It's well, then, like I said, there, there's a reason, I think, why this has probably been the most, uh, the, the winningest and one of the most uh, popular uh, detachments from the book. Again, though, I do want to point out. Like the gap between this this particular attachment and some of the other ones is not huge, and maybe that will change over the time. Um, as Arthur pointed out earlier, like we, it's only been so long since the book came out, um, but uh, it, it is cool to see that this is an option. And I think for for the board control type player, uh, this is your way to go with Tyranids. Moving along, we, we have two more we want to cover here. This next detachment actually made a lot of waves uh, in the chatter before the launch of the book. Uh, and a lot of folks did think that it would really be standing out in a, in a competitive sense. And I, reading the rules, I can understand why. So it's interesting to me that it, it actually isn't necessarily doing that well, even though it is getting played reasonably well. And I know for sure uh, that it has won at least one event. Um, and that is the Synaptic Nexus, um, which is a really cool uh, detachment, which obviously focuses on what you would expect, the Synapse units, um, and gives you some pretty powerful buffs that come off the Synapse units, which you kind of want to have anyway, obviously, as we talked about Synapse at the start here uh, and how important that is to the army. Uh, so I think it's, it's this detachment that reminds me the most of the last book like the the ninth edition codex where you got to kind of choose and then you'd have uh, a series of synapse benefits uh every turn which is similar yeah, yeah it's basically marine doctrines in this game yeah i think that's kind of definitely inspired i mean even some of the language they use seems very inspired from from the ninth edition book 
with these synaptic imperatives, right? Uh, which, of course, your Nid players will be familiar with. Uh, nowadays, you only get three uh, to choose from, but you get to pick them at the start of the battle round. So these are, like like uh, Scott said, a lot like uh, uh, combat doctrines and many other armies have rules like this now. You get to pick them, they, they come off your, in an aura, they come off your synapse units, uh, and they benefit any Tyranids that happen to be in range. Uh, there's three of them. Uh, one of them is for a 5-plus invulnerable save, which is usually spectacular. Uh, one of them is for an extra inch to your advance and charge moves, and the final one is for uh, plus one to hit in melee. Uh, so three honestly pretty powerful buffs. Uh, again, as with all battle round triggered abilities, you do have to have a sense of timing. You need to have a game plan about you know when you're going to want and need these and use them. Um, but they are quite strong. Um, and I think that probably was a big part of why people figured that this particular detachment would be doing fairly well. Arthur, what is the win rate on a Synaptic Nexus right now? Well, you know, again, the caveat that do we want to use stat check or do we want to use Meta Monday or do we want you know to what? use the data that GW uses, you which is their tournaments? Give us stat check and give us GW. I want to know what the difference is. Oh, I don't have the GW data. I can give you stat check though. Uh, according okay. to stat check, the Tyranids, um, uh, Assimilation Swarm? A Synaptic Nexus. Ah, uh, is at 42%. It is the second worst one hmm. in stat check. And I think that GW was saying it was actually the highest winning percent, if I remember. So that, that is quite the difference and makes you really wonder where the two are drawing their, uh, their information from. But that also tells you that, you know, it, like I said, uh, sample size is still pretty small right now. Um, so whether or not this is a, a competitively viable detachment is probably still very much up in the air. Um, but we can talk a little bit more about it itself uh, and how it plays a bit. Uh, Scott, have you had a chance to play this particular detachment yet? Yeah, it's the detachment I played at Hollowtide. Oh, well, that's and, uh, so you got three very recent games. Yeah, it works. It works well. There's things that you want to do in this list that uh, give you a, a toolbox of survivability and punch power. Um, so, yeah, like you were saying a minute ago, like it really leans into bottles that you already want on the table. Like your synapse units are typically ones that you need anyway because you don't want to be, you know, failing your battle shock tests. Um, and a lot of them are just really good to begin with. Like, uh, your hive tyrants, your malceptors, your zoanthropes, like so many good units, uh, your Norn emissary, your Norn similar, all these good units are already synapse units. And this just makes them better. It's like, we're going to take all this awesome stuff and just have more fun with these awesome things. And I, I think the win rate should be a higher on this one because it, it provides a really good toolbox now like in the in invasion fleet you have a, a strat that gives you that uh, five up feel no pain uh in this one here you uh have a strat that gives you armor of contempt which is pretty cool and that can be used in the, the shoot phase or fight phase so all of a sudden you're like you're not just taking a feel no pain you're like stopping those wounds from coming in in the first place which uh, i appreciate well in, like, um, in space marines you know can tell you aoc on a something that already has a two plus armor save is always bonkers good yeah, and the fact that they left it as a battle tactic means if you're within 12 inches of a, a hive tyrant, you can do it on two different units, uh, which I appreciate. Um, 
Now, the, a couple of the strats that you're going to see used most often with this um, unit uh, or with this attachment are Irresistible Will and Reinforced Hive Node. Um, uh, irresistible Will, if there's like a thing that you need to kill on the table, you're like, I really need to get this thing moved. Um, you pick a Synapse creature, pick its opponent, and um, it's basically like a baby version of both a moment. You get to reroll um, once to hit, once to wound, and anything that's within six inches of your uh, synapse unit that you use that on gets all of that. So you have a lot of things rerolling well, once to hit and once to wound. Yep. Uh, and a lot of these units are already going to be hitting on twos, right? So if you have like a, a Norn Emissary and a Malceptor, other hits on threes, so it's going to drop to twos and everything. So it just makes that all super reliable. Yes. Right. Um, and then, of course, uh, reinforced hive node. Um, yeah, that was the armor of contempt one. Uh, also, battle shock. The irresistible will one is a battle shock. The only other battle shock one is okay. Uh, it bumps your synapse up to uh, nine inches rather than six. But again, if you're already in a big synapse army, eh, <laughs> not that. Yeah. Not that crazy good. I think that one kind of um, lets you pick a unit in nine, and they just count as in synapse. So I guess if you're gonna like really missile a unit across the table yeah. and you know you can't sit it. maybe that's what you do yeah uh another one here is uh, called the smothering shadow and it's a pretty cool like little hand grenade if you uh, are close to a unit that fails a battle shock test you can be like i'm gonna roll a six die six any three up is a moral wound so if you have oh, okay. a an enemy that's like got two or three wounds left you're like i just want that guy gone bye-bye yeah. little, little um, kind of a, a mini doom bolt often almost I think this is one of the, I, I could be wrong, but I believe that this is one of the uh, detachments that also has a stratagem for uh, some fallback shenanigans. Like they can fall back and it still does. shoot and charge, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's called Override Instincts. Um, it's uh, anybody that's within synapse range. It doesn't even have to be a synapse creature, just someone that's in synapse range. And they're uh, eligible to shoot and declare a charge. See, After doing and, a fallback. and that's one of the most like we talked about it a little bit earlier too. That that really is one of the most underrated abilities in the game. Uh, there's mm -hmm. so many times that come up in a game where you just need to get something out of combat and somewhere else, uh, and yeah. you know that's where that comes in. Uh, just a great tool to have in your in your toolkit. Yeah, and uh, two of the uh, enhancements are good. Um, the others are okay-ish. Uh, the only good ones I would say are snapped control. Uh, it's, it's a one damage reduction. So if you have a hive tyrant that yep. is handing out all these like free strats, always useful. And uh, power of the hive mind uh, is okay. You throw that on a um, uh, what did I throw that on? My uh, neuro tyrant. Mm. Uh, it makes his weapon actually kind of useful. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it, it's a flamer weapon. Has, it natively has... Um, AP one, I think two damage. Now it's AP two, two damage. Oh, I see. So, so it boosts the. I think it boosts the strength and AP of their psychic weapons. Is that it? Strength and AP, yeah. Right. Yeah, Could be probably AP easy on like a like a Maliceptor too, just to get the AP up a little more potentially. It's a fairly cheap upgrade, could, right? Yeah, if you could give it to a Maliceptor, it can only go to the characters. A Maliceptor, oh, right. not a character, yeah. right? Obviously, yeah. That yeah. would that would be a good spot, but I don't know the book well enough. Um, if you I want to come also, over sometime, I'll try to play 40k. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anytime I get invited places, it's all for AOS now, so I actually really love that particular invite, so maybe maybe I'll take you up on that. Scotty, uh, nobody should... wants to play AOS against you. Well, you're probably not. 
I probably we'll should go. For us too. It's me. I'm the one who's the problem. I see how it is. So you remember how uh, the other day we completely missed doing this? Uh, I happened to be with Arthur playing AOS when I should have been uh, doing this uh, podcast with you. And uh, AOS got all up in your grill again. Sorry. You know what? It's just such a fantastic game. Time flies by so far, you can't even recognize what's going on. I have a question for you. The psychostatic disruption, the 30-point enhancement, uh, it lets people not get set up in reserve within 12 inches and once per battle. Uh, and it, you know, it says during the first or second battle round, but let's be real, it's on the second battle round. Uh, on a 4-up, they can't arrive. Yep. Do you ever take that? Is that ever worth it? Typically, no. But I mean, I've only played this attachment a couple times, but I've never had to use that. I find that I can get enough screening stuff out there to begin with, and if there's like a pocket of area I think they can get into, I'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll drop a spore mine in there because now spore mines give the nine inch bubble, where in ninth they didn't. So it's like, oh, I got that pocket, spore mine it, I got it covered. I I kind of agree. So like the reason I think you take this is for the deep strike denial within twelve or the reserve denial within twelve inches, which is a very powerful ability. However, I think that it's just kind of one of those cases where Tyranids are not the army for it because this is an army that already screens so so well. They put a lot of units on the table. They tend to have a lot of models. Of course, they can spawn new ones all the time. Sporebinds are an excellent example. Um, so for them in general, screening is less of a problem. Now, in some other armies, this would be an auto-take uh, to get that deep strike denial or, or reserve denial. Uh, and maybe you maybe you screw over somebody's reserve coming in, like you said. Uh, it's a die roll. It's a 4+, plus, and you can prevent one once per game, you can prevent somebody's uh, reserve from coming in when it's trying to come in. But four plus rolls, you know, we know they're fickle. That's not really why you take it. You take it for the the twelve inch denial. It is good, but I don't know if this is the army for it. It is interesting the the fourth and final enhancement uh, here because Scott was mentioning this kind of earlier that comes with this is actually uh, another 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 uh, uh, aura which reduces leadership within a certain range. I think it's nine inches from the bear. So if you really want to get wild with Shadow in the Warp. Uh, this is one more way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a good one to give that to is something like the, um, uh, what's it called there? The uh, Parasite of Mortrex. Uh, uh, yes. Or if you have like a monster, like the Parasite of Mortrex can be like, he's going to loan operative, hang out 12 inches away, and then when you need him, you can zoom in, uh, drop that leadership down, and then on the start of your next turn, I'm going to shadow in the warp you. So I can like set that up on my turn so that I, I know when that shadow in the warp is going to drop and I'll just target those units. And uh, you can't touch him because he's going operative. So it's, it's, it's a good one to have that on. Yeah, I'm really fascinated by the incoming Battleshock meta. It's, uh, it's making me happy. It's making me happy for Chaos Knights too. Um, yeah. Did but I tell you about Neurolictors yet? <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned them briefly there. You know what? Actually, let's talk. A, let's briefly talk a little bit about Neurolictors because they are one of the new models and they are actually really relevant to this army. They're relevant to the Vanguard Swarm as well. They're actually kind of relevant all the time, but they, they fit specifically in a few other few armies. But uh, hit us off on the yeah. Neurolictor just because people are going to be seeing those things all over the place. Yeah, yeah. You're going to see uh, if people can find one. They're going to have basically two <laughs> in each list, maybe three. Yeah. 
Uh, they're so good. So at the start of my command phase, every command phase, uh, I get to pick any one unit that is within 12 inches of them and force a Battleshock test. If I have three of them, I'm forcing three Battleshock tests on my command phase. Already pretty good. And on top of that, uh, any unit that is Battleshocked and within 12 inches of them, and that could be like a lot. They can have four units within 12 inches and they all get a minus one to hit and I get a plus one to wound. Yeah. So if I have three of these things on the table, that's a giant bubble on the middle of the table where you really don't want to be battle shocked. And I'm always battle shocking you. They don't yeah. stop. Well, so, and, this is, and this is a model that, you know, it's got the Lictor more or less the same uh, stat line, uh, which aren't yeah. incredibly tough. However, Neurolictors are both A, lone ops, and B, have a four plus invulnerable save. So they aren't that easy to just get rid of. And stealth. And stealth. So, like... It's kind of, it, I was to ask you how much that costs. How much do you think the Neurolictor costs? Uh, I can tell you, like, for what it does, I can tell you, I think it should cost about 100 points. 110, maybe. Do you think loan operators, uh, like, as a tech piece, should be about the 100-point range? Yeah. These are 65 points. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're very, <laughs> like, very affordable. Like, uh, we can expect that that's going to go up. Probably. Probably. <laughs> if everyone, everyone's taken. Everyone's taken like two or three of them. That, oh, yeah, if you sure. can find. Them. It seems like the thing that GW loves to do is like percentage scale increases, and it, it doesn't seem like they just want to throw a slap like a seven. You know, if they say five percent and five percent is seven points, they're never going to throw a seven point increase. No, it's always right. in fives or tens, right? Yeah. Um, and you can actually see like what they do. A lot of the, they love their ten percent downs. Oh, these are underperforming. Ten percent. Um, which seems like nothing on a small thing, but on like tank, that's at uh, 200 points. Like, oh, 20 points here actually does add quite a bit, which might explain, not the podcast for it, Sisters increased win rate. When you look at a 65-point model, and they're like, wow, this is overperforming, we're going to hit it with a 10% increase, that's only 71. So we're going to look at that 20. Well, that's no 12 points. Maybe they're going to look at 15 points. And I think the real price of your Neuroelector will probably end up being around 80. Maybe. To, Still worth taking two. Yeah. To to be honest with you, Arthur, to, to your point, yeah, I do think that Lone Ops, you know, I do think they should be around 100 points, and I think the ones, like, the Neuroelector is kind of interesting because, of course, he is quite a bit tougher than a lot of Lone Ops are. A lot of Lone Ops are toughness three or four models with, like, four or five wounds and probably mediocre saves. They really do need Lone Op to survive. Um which the Neuroelector doesn't necessarily. But I do think that we should just be then making lone ops good enough, uh, strong enough in their abilities or their stats or whatever to still justify like a 100-point cost. Because the reality is that the lone op ability is worth that much because you have this unit that can't be interacted with, uh, save for if you're very close to it. Um, and the pre prevalence of lone ops in so many armies is obvious. So uh, I also... Again, we'll have a different discussion another time about this. I don't think Lone Ops should work the way it does. I really don't like it. Uh, we've talked about that a bit in past podcasts. Um, but I don't know that it's going to change. I think GW likes the mechanic, and and so we should just learn to make it make it work within the system. Uh, we I do should have add one... the fact it's also an infiltrator. <laughs> yeah, well, and well, yeah, and he's fast too, right? Like 8 to 10 inch move. Yeah, 8 inch move, 4 up invul, 7 wounds. And I mean, he doesn't need yeah. to do much. So the main thing he wants to do is just get in range of stuff. He can advance. 
And uh, yeah. yeah, so you get a bunch of these things suddenly in the midst of your army right when the Tyranids want to hammer you, and life can get pretty tough. And his weapon is precision. If he happens to kill a character, you get a CP too. <laughs> it's just kind of, Why one, not? of those data, one of those data sheets that doesn't quit. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> we do have one more uh, detachment to cover. One that I, I actually, this is the one that I am most interested in and I think is the most fun. Um, and I actually, this was my take or my choice for the what would be the most powerful detachment in the book. Um, it hasn't come out that way, at least not yet, um, but it is making a little bit of a, a renaissance this last week or two, and that is the Unending Swarm. Uh, this is how I remember the Tyranids of my youth, uh, very focused on swarm-type play. Uh, my buddy, co coincidentally, also named Scotty, Scotty, Scotty K, if you're listening in, Scott Solidarity Forever. Um, he played when Turvagons first came out. He played the hell out of gaunt swarm lists and stuff like that and that's how i romanticize tyranids of the past this is a very interesting detachment as well obviously it is entirely focused on the swarm units uh gaunts hormigons gargoyles uh i don't know if rippers have the endless swarm uh no. tag or not rippers are uh, uh, harvester keyworded ah, so they'll right, right. rippers will lean into the assimilation swarm I think there is one more. Oh, Neurogons, of course. I'm like, there's another one. Neurogons. There's a new type of gaunt, Neurogons, uh, who are also endless. Uh, this uh, army, its its detachment mechanic is maybe most familiar to World Eater players because it matches the uh, ninth edition World Eater rules with what they what is called in this detachment a surge move, which is basically when the unit is shot at and suffers at least one casualty, it is then allowed to make an additional move, uh, which is d6 inches towards the closest enemy and it does have to be towards the closest enemy but you can move directly into combat even uh if you'd like and of course because this is gaunts we're talking about they tend to lose a model to a stiff breeze so the ability to proc this is very easy and you can very easily move a ridiculous carpet of of uh, little bugs right up into your opponent's face scott have and you it's had not a even once per turn no, it's, it's not even no. once per turn. It's like that unit gets shot twice that phase. They keep moving until he's engaged with somebody and you can't shoot them anymore. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right. So I, I played a small game of this. I don't have enough models <laughs> to play a full <laughs> yeah, 2000 point, it, right? really lead into it. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, um, it's going to give you a sore back to play a, a long game <laughs> of this one. You'd be uh, moving, yeah. moving models everywhere. Uh, yeah, so it's it's all I'm going to come at you and you're not going to stop me. You'll have to kill me to stop me kind of vibe. Uh, out of all the attachments, this one is Starship Troopers. Mm -hmm. Think yep. that. It's just all the bugs come carpet of them. And uh, yeah, uh, so you got some like awesome movement in this. On top of that, you look at uh, some gargoyles. The gargoyles natively move 12 inches. They shoot and scoot. Yep. Uh, in this here, you have a strat that uh, they have assault weapons. So they can uh, advance, shoot, scoot. Uh, this one here gives you uh, you have a strap for an auto six. Yep. Uh, advance. advance. Yep. Yeah. So all of a sudden your your threat range on them is. I think awesome. I think the obvious choices for this, like I mean, all gaunts are going to be good in this, but hormigons and gargoyles specifically seem like they're really built for this. Uh, yeah. Uh, do don't the, doubt the. Uh, don't doubt the termagants either. Termagants natively have an ability where if you come within nine inches, they get to move. Is there? Right? I'm looking at the stratagems here. Is there no stratagem to bring a unit back to life? There is. There is. Uh, oh, no, there is. Unending, unending waves. waves. It costs you two CP. I see. Yep. 
Yeah, and then you can respawn the entire unit into strats. So a 20 yep. unit of gargoyles, oh, it's dead. Now that whole 20 units in the strat, and you can bring it back next round. Yep. And this is not one of the type of stratagems that can be increased in cost? No, it's not a battle tactic. You cannot vec this one. You can't hit with you anything can. else. You also can't make it free, but, you know, it, it does. Yeah. That, that blade cuts both ways, so yeah. So this uh, this list is actually really CP hungry. So you'll probably see a lot of swarm lords on this list to really make sure you get that extra CP every round. He pairs uh, very well. Yeah, swarm lord. He, he's a kind of a cool unit, but he's just not worth the points in so many lists. In this list, uh, or sorry, in this uh, detachment, he's I'd say he's really worth it because that that CP is can be really really handy. Well, in two the Tyranids. Um, to the Tyranids mechanics, obviously Gaunt's, again, really shitty leadership, uh, high chance of taking lots of casualties. So Synapse is actually very important to this list because, of course, this list can drown you in OC. Most Gaunt's are, are too OC. You got dozens of bodies. You can take objectives without even having to fight for them. But if you lose, start losing Gaunt's, your chances of battle shocking are high, so you want your Synapse to make sure that you don't. And, of course, the Swarm Lord has an increased Synapse range. So... 100%. Uh, and it, it, the other, uh, the, the, the last Neurogaunt uh, swarm unit is actually kind of useful in this um, because they carry synapse. If yeah. you have a, a, a Neurogaunt unit within six inches or within synapse range of another unit, they can chain that out. So all of a sudden you can wind that unit through all your other units halfway across the table. And uh, that swarm is really good all of a sudden. Everyone's, everyone's within that range. Um, and they have some handy tricks in there too, just for helping you with the things that are most problematic about running horde armies. I know there's a minus one to hit stratagem, which is very good. Uh, they have a stratagem, uh, an ability which I desperately missed for my Skitari when I was running Skitari blobs in in ninth. Uh, the ability to uh, basically ignore blast, right? Like your uh, one CP strat, your unit doesn't count as more than five models for blast, right? If you could blast this army all the time whenever you want, this army would lose a lot of its functionality. But the fact exactly. that you can deny that is critical. Like, yeah. If, if you're going into your opponent's shooting phase and you're looking at his blast weapons and you don't have a CP in your pocket for that, bye-bye. <laughs> well, there's there's certain situations where like certain units... Uh, I know I was talking to Ryan, good old Ryan McLeod, longtime Trident member, handsome guy, uh, about uh, dealing with these kind of things. And he, he mentioned... Um, his uh, his Terminator, the Voton Terminators, uh, I want to uh, Hearthguard, I think, or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, they're, you know, they've all got blast grenade launchers. Um, same thing yeah. with like Space Marine Aggressors. They've got blast grenade launchers. Uh, a lot of vehicle heavy lists have tons of blast weapons. So you have especially like those armies that can put out a lot of like low strength blast. Perfect versus mm -hmm. this until they pop this strat. Yeah, 100%. Um, just to t touch on the, the movement mechanics, the, we were talking about Termagons for a sec there. Um, mm -hmm. When you come within nine inches of them, they get to move, right? So if you have a, a unit of Gaunts, you're coming up with them, you're in nine inches, they get to move like to six inches closer to you, for example. And now they're only three inches away. If you shoot at them, they're going to be within engagement of you and go first on their turn. So they're just tying you up in mud at that point. So that... Uh, don't count those termagants out. They're really good for mudding things up. Well, this whole whole detachment seems like it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Do you uh, think that uh, 
a detachment like is this one that rewards you for playing a Swore MRE will never be tournament viable because you still only have uh, 120 minutes to play on the clock. Or, or no, it's less than 120. It's, uh, I guess, what is it, 80 minutes? Yeah, like, I mean, depending on you, you know, what your round structure is, yeah, you're, you got, you know, 80, 90 minutes probably. Mm-hmm. I think, like, from what I've heard over the years playing against people who played body-heavy armies, there is a, a talent to it, a skill to it that you kind of work on and get better at over time. Uh, obviously, things like movement trays help a lot. I do also think, like, an army like this, outside of Hormigons, probably, like... The damage potential of this army, the, the specifically the units that are prioritized here, is very low. Um, now there is, a, again, some ways in the army to buff it a bit. I know they have a sustained hit stratagem. Uh, right, all the Gaunts get sustained hits 5 up, and right. there's other ways to like, buff it. In general, Gaunts, Gargoyles, these things, it's not to say they can't hurt anything, but you're not going to prioritize it. And you are going to prioritize just get that movement phase done. Get where you need to go, uh, as we've been talking about all night try to do some battle shock mechanics uh and like i said like you really can drown objectives in oc like and yeah. this army's fast it can get all over the place so playing the game with an army like this i i don't think you even worry about rolling as many dice as you might think that you do you know uh well, one of the you... sorry go ahead scott oh sure i was just say i'll give you one good combo for actually dealing out a bit of damage in this um Take uh, a couple units of Termagants. Now, normally, I, I don't really playing the the Termagant in this edition. It, it lost any kind of protection. It doesn't have an end vol. It dies kind of quick, right? But if a Termagant is within a certain range of uh, Termagants, they gain the lethal ability. Now, you stack that up with uh, uh, specifically the Spine Fist weapon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does two shots. It can shoot in melee, and it's twin linked. Yeah. So you are critting on fives lethal wounds uh getting 40 shots that are twin linked yeah all of a sudden that you you can punch way up with uh and you because it's a battle strat and uh the um five tire can let two units of termagants do that yeah so they they can punch up pretty hard and the strat that gives you the five up crits in this in this uh detachment also gives you sustained hits too to go with the lethal so yeah, you're, exactly you're getting that, that, so, golden, you're like, that golden combo. Yeah, that, that's the combo you want to look at, for sure. Yeah. I do think, you know, like uh, I said... Oh, go ahead, Arthur. One of the... Uh, many editions ago, I think this is 5th edition, uh, I saw an orc player play. And uh, I thought all the stuff was dead, and then he pulled in a whole bunch of uh, the helicopter guys that you can only get out of that Assault on Black Reach box yeah. uh, in from Reserve. And he ended up winning the game, and he explained to me that orcs rely on the ability to overwhelm your opponent's ability to remove one particular data sheet. He didn't use the word data sheet, but that's what he meant. Um, do you think that Tyranids in this particular detachment rely on that? That you're just going to flood with so many bodies, you're going to you're gonna go mag the stallion, body yaddy 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 yaddy, uh, and just to the point where like it overwhelms any opponent's ability to bring enough anti-infantry to a table that they're going to be able to push you off objectives. That That's your win condition. It's not yep. killing things. It's it's just OC on points with bodies. Yep. I think so. Um, I think it's it's very... And that you, like you mentioned, you're going to tactically... There's a few things you're going to try to kill with your weight of attacks and stuff, but your primary focus is there. This is a stat check army. Uh, it's a different kind of stat check than what I think that word gets used for a lot. Everyone throws a 
knights or custodies yeah. for either being a two yeah. plus this is stat a different check one. or a high toughness stat check. Yep, and this is a different one, especially with the strat to bring units back. I think that that's what this is. It's, you know, as Sean would say, uh, I hope you got more bullets than I got bodies. Um, because that's kind of the idea. So I do think this will be a fun one to play. And as I said, I honestly do think, given time, that this might be the version of Tyranids that is strongest. Uh, and we're not even seeing, you know, some of the more combo-centered stuff, like Scott mentioned, Turbaguns. Not necessarily a, a unit in vogue right now, but maybe somebody figures out the right combo of uh, gaunts to, to buff pieces that you need in this army, and suddenly it takes off. Arthur, do you have, again, I keep, I'm sorry to keep bugging you here, but do you have the stat check uh, numbers for Unending Swarm right now? Uh, well, according to stat check, Unending Swarm is at 48%. It's outperforming everything except for Assimilation Swarm and uh, Vanguard Onslaught. However, we have to know, really understand that only 22 games have been played of Assimilation Storm, and uh, yeah. the Vanguard is about 261, so there is substantial data to show that yeah. Vanguard Onslaught is the most competitive right now. However, only 45 games have played of Unending Swarm, and there yeah. is a limit to how many people are going to be able to source 200 Gaunts. Yep. You're going to have to play Borohammer unless you're that diehard Tyranid fan. Fox. Yeah. yeah. Add to that that they changed the base size of Tyranids um, and Termagants, uh, just by a little bit. So, but if you want to play them technically legally, you have to change all those bases off, even if you've had that army. So it's like GW's endless march oh my God. towards. Nobody bases. tell Ryan that for your weekend. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, no. he's going to go base check every single model in Sean's army. I can guarantee you, he's already doing it. It's Ryan is on a warpath this coming weekend. So. Um, anyhow, so like I said, there are two more detachments, the Assimilation Swarm, as we mentioned, and the Crusher Stampede that we're not going to cover today just because, again, they just don't have enough data for us to run with. Um, but they, that doesn't mean they're not cool. We do uh, want to tell you guys to still check them out if you're a big Nids player. Crusher Stampede is, of course, very monster heavy. Assimilation Swarm is focused on a very, very tiny selection of units uh, who are all gobbly gobbly boys. Um, it does have some cool mechanics. Again, you can find out all sorts of info from it uh, about it on the internet, I'm sure. Uh, so if you want to check those out, go ahead. But we did want to cover these ones off for tonight, and I have been blessed to have Scott Fox and Arthur also was here uh, for this video tonight. Um, so we do uh, appreciate you guys tuning in to our podcast here. And like I said, we'll be doing one of these, hopefully for every single codex. And, and I really cannot harp enough. If you are interested, get in touch with us. Because we are looking for players for the, from those books to join us on these podcasts. We want to be having uh, as many people involved as possible. Uh, Scott, any closing comments? Thanks for having me, man. I feel, uh, you know, you guys are kind of like local legends. And I've been in doing this whole thing for a year and a half now. And it's just a, a pleasure to honestly be here chatting you guys up about this stuff. Uh, you're picking up hardware a lot sooner than I did when I got into the game. So I think the local legend here must be you. So, uh, Arthur is a bit of a local legend, though, but, you know. You can check out my OnlyFans anytime. Yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of things there. Arthur, I know that uh, I know that you probably don't remember the rules for 40k, but do you have any uh, closing insights on Tyranids and how you wish that they were an Age of Sigmar army, perhaps? Well, um, I don't know if I have any closing thoughts on specific Tyranids. Uh, now that we have six different um, detachments with uh you know six different stratagems each uh so 36 different stratagems and marines are gonna have i assume the same thing 
um, one, one of the big sells of this edition was that there was less stratagems to memorize. I wonder if that's going to hold true, or alternatively, and it doesn't... This is a boon. This is a boon for Nits. Um, it doesn't seem like everyone is going to be playing one attachment. It seems like people are being incentivized to play uh, different ones. So, I, I, that could be a good thing. You want to see uh, internal balance. It's very important. I wonder how many books are not going to have that, and there is going to be a de facto winner, like maybe a current Space Marine Iron Hands themed attachment. And <laughs> um, okay, well, or first company. Uh, and if, like, you only need to know these six stratagems. Um, so I'm curious how that's going to shape out. Or, or you know, one of the benefits of only having six stratagems, now that these books are out, are your pregame talk is, hey, bud, here are the six things I can do, here are the things you have to watch out for, is so much easier than last edition, where it was like, I can do this, and I can do this, and I can do this only against this one particular army in this one circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um... So I think, I think also, I think also, like at least from what we've seen so far, whilst yes, there are six stratagems to each attachment times five to seven in any given book, a lot of stratagems are very similar, uh, not necessarily within that book, but maybe from one book to another. There are stratagems for sustained hits. Everyone knows what that is, and you can just say that. And like you said, you only have six, no matter who you're what you're playing as or the stratagem to move make a normal move when somebody comes within nine inches you know the number of uh, possible effects that you can have uh is much lower uh, but yeah like you said the you know rules bloat is something that is always a menace um i think no matter what i don't think we'll be hitting the ninth edition levels of it because that not until was, 11th <laughs> yeah that was that was pretty that was pretty big uh, I think we are simplified, if not simple, as GW would say. Uh, and yeah, one thing I appreciate sh- about this book on that note. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, sorry. One thing I appreciate about this book is that it didn't blow everything out of the water. Like on that note, yeah. like just about how like power creep and all that. This came out and it gave you all these options to play equally with everybody else. Just lean into the style of game you wanted to play. Exactly. But none of these are like I'm crushing everything out there. Yep. Well, and like we talked about that so far, and the Space Room book is looking similar. So far, it looks like uh, tentatively, knock on wood, external balance may just survive. And and 40k for being what, four months, five months into an edition right now, a big edition switch, uh, the balance is really good, and it's only getting better. Some and improving. Might, and improving. Some some might say this could be the best edition of 40k ever. Um, so anyhow, uh, thanks again, boys, for joining me tonight uh, for this Tyranids review. Uh, and uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing you guys in some more podcasts real soon here. Uh, before we go, we do want to, of course, shout out our wonderful couple of uh, sponsors. Uh, we got Ed, Chris, Tyler, Frederick, and Dustin. You guys are incredible for monetarily helping us out every month and making it possible for us to have Arthur here to make fun of us. Uh, he is very expensive hourly. Um, it's an appearance fee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give him a call. Uh, and thanks again, boys. Uh, really, really could not have done this without you. So The other Everybody way you can uh, support Trident is we got that new Monument Hobbies affiliate link. Uh, you can check out their paints. They got some great paints. It's a matte finish instead of the satin of Citadel. Uh, entirely different concept. If you've never tried it, you should try it. You can even borrow one of my paints to do it. 
But if you're going to go buy a monument, use our affiliate link. You're going to save 10%. We get a small kickback. It's going to help us out a little bit. And uh, maybe it'll we'll get more content and more stuff your way. Keep Arthur with enough paints to paint them elves. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you all in the next one. Did you plug the Patreon? We need to plug the Patreon. <laughs>